Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Thanks for joining us today as we conclude our year with a series entitled The Reason for Our Hope. So let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 1 as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled What Child Is This? Part 1. Well, Christmas Day has just passed and was a day, even a season like no other. The celebrations we have become so accustomed to, spend so much time, you know, preparing for, well, those were unceremoniously placed on hold this year. But it's provided a unique time for reflection. Have you considered that the day we typically celebrate each year has over time actually morphed into something that offers little resemblance to its original intention? Culture seems to have stretched and pulled the season like an old wool sweater beyond its original shape. Yet for us as believers, despite cultural alterations, Christmas should mark the day long set aside to singularly celebrate the arrival of Christ into the world. And so for us, it's a reason enough to pause and give thanks to God who has remembered us in all our fallen and ruined state and sent his son into the world. And what I've been thinking, in a way, the way we celebrate Christmas, all the pre-Christmas celebrations, the lights, the performances, the lighting of another candle on each Sunday of Advent, and then Christmas Day not being the big party that should be the climax rather than a quiet day for most of us. And then I got to thinking that it's not unlike the way we treat the Christ child. So often around Christmas, we'll speak about Zechariah and Elizabeth, about Mary's visitation by the angel, Joseph's dilemma, the revelation that God gives him, the the history of Bethlehem, the decree of Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, the wise men, the prophecies of the Old Testament, Herod the Great and the massacre of the innocents. So much drama surrounds the coming of Jesus. And it's easy to talk about all the drama and still miss the actual center point of all of it, the actual child himself, the baby in the manger. In fact, the more that I've thought about it, the more I think the Christmas story is like what happens when you go visit a couple who has just had a baby. You know, you get to their house and they tell you the baby's sleeping. So everyone tiptoes into the bedroom and mom pulls a little blanket back and yup, there's a brand new baby looking like a a wrinkled little prune and everyone whispers how beautiful it is and how much it looks like dad or mom as if, you know, as if dad or mom even looked faintly like that. And then we go out of the room and we shut the door and we pray earnestly that the, the baby will stay sleeping. And we all have coffee and cookies and then we go home and we visited the baby. Well, we never visit the baby. Newborn babies, as you know, don't visit well. What they do exceptionally well is they cry and they eat and they poop and they throw up and they sleep, and that's all they do. And if you're not prepared to clean them up or breastfeed them or rock them back to sleep, you really aren't visiting the baby. And don't tell me it isn't so. I've been there. Babies may change our lives and bring us joy and add responsibility to our lives and make us think about the future. But when we talk about them, well, we talk about us and how the baby impacts us. After all, babies just lie there. And that's what I think that Christmas is like for so many of us. We really don't talk about baby Jesus at all. He just lies there at the periphery. I know, I know. Some of you moms are going to say, you know, Dr. Newfell, you don't understand. My baby has personality. 
In fact, a wonderful, engaging personality. I mean, look how he smiles. <laughs> Listen, Mom, you can't fool me. That's not personality. That's gas. And, and moms, as much as you say you talk about the baby, you don't. I've heard your conversations. See, I remember those days. When we had babies or visited people who had babies, all the women would begin to talk, and the conversation went like this. How long was your labor? When did your water break? How long did you have to push? And from a man's perspective, all that sounds like saying, how bad was the train wreck? And the men are looking at the floor in horror because uh, they know deep within them that they're responsible for all of this. And they say, well, you know, is there a hockey game on? And off they go. So what can you say about baby Jesus? You'd think that anything that I would say would send the man looking for a hockey game. But the Bible really does speak about this baby, baby Jesus, in such a way that if you went to visit baby Jesus, that you would want to go and spend time truly with the baby. Women, you wouldn't be talking about Mary and her labor. And men, you wouldn't be talking to Joseph about the the room that he was going to build for the baby, you know, attached to the little house they had in Nazareth. Both of us, men and women, would be united in the fact that we would spend all of the time with the baby. And that fact is what makes Christmas so fascinating, so engaging, so overwhelming, so magnificent, so completely wonderful. And that's why it didn't matter if you were Anna or Elizabeth or the Magi from the East or the rugged blue-collar shepherds. It was the baby that you wanted to come and see. Let me tell you why. Oh, let me tell you why. Because if you don't know why, I don't think you can keep Christmas well. And so today and tomorrow, I want to give you a number of reasons why if you visited Mary and Joseph in the barn or the cave, you would have spent all of your time visiting the baby. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're given to emotional responses around babies or whether you're not. And so I know that What I'm about to say didn't happen, and for the sake of making a point, I I want you to imagine the following scenario. See, I want you to imagine that John, Matthew, Luke, and Paul went together as a company of four men to visit baby Jesus. You know, remember, I said that couldn't have happened because these men would have been babies themselves, or in the case of John, they wouldn't have yet been born when Jesus was a baby. But these four men actually said a lot about the baby. And so, for our purposes, I want you to imagine the birth of the baby now lying in a manger or in a feeding trough. There's a knock at the door, and Joseph goes over to answer the door. Four men, the apostles Matthew, Luke, John, and the apostle Paul are standing there. They're thankful to meet with Mary and Joseph, and they certainly don't want to be impolite, but they want to spend the day with the baby. What would they have done with a baby? He's just a baby. And yet, that's what they want. They want to spend several hours, if it's okay, with this little baby boy. Since there is so much they could have done with this baby, I'm going to start my treatment of the subject today, and I'm going to finish it off tomorrow so that what I'm about to say really belongs to a two-part set. See, in my mind's eye, I imagine that John goes over to pick up the baby first. He holds the baby up so that the other three can see and watch him for a while, and then John begins to speak. In the beginning was the Word, and this Word was with God, and this Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through this baby. And without this baby was not anything made that was made. And this child is life, and the life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. You know, Mary and Joseph are stunned, and the room becomes very quiet. The other three men are also transfixed, their eyes brimming with tears. For as John holds this child, and he's uttered the words, in the beginning. You know, those three words, in the beginning, are the same three words that begin the Bible, in the beginning. In Genesis, it means in the beginning of creation, that is, before God said, let there be light. Before the creation itself, there was God. Indeed, at the beginning of anything, God is already there. And John, now looking at the baby, says the very same words. He would have said those words in the barn, and he said, before there was a barn, or before there was any other barn, there was this child, before Mary and Joseph. And and that is the amazing thing. Before his mother was this child. And John might have walked out into the night, holding the child, looking at the stars and said, before the stars and the grandeur of the universe existed, was this one. For as I hold him, I know that I am holding the ever-existent one. What is it to hold this baby and to stare at the little hands and the little feet and to say, this is non-derived life. You see, you and I were derived life. That is, the explanation of my life is dependent on other factors. My life depends on my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and ultimately with God. But this life, this life is non-derived. It exists on its own. This life is the only life of its kind. This is, in fact, eternity in the body of a baby. Of course, John is not easily dissuaded from taking his full allotted time with this child. He's just gotten going. His visit with the child started in what would seem like a crescendo, but the stunning reality he sees in the baby is not done. He's been saying that all things were made through this one, and without him was not anything made that has been made. See, John's not done wondering at this child. This child not only predates all of them, this child is the ancient of days. He's also the creator of all that exists. But even as profound as that is, he is going to say more. This child is the ultimate explanation of all things. And it's as if John is holding out this baby for the others to see. And he says, if you want to understand yourself, you'll have to understand this baby. He's the explanation of everything that's in this room. As you know, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to sharing the good news every single day through our radio Bible teaching and a wide variety of audio and video resources. While buying time for radio teaching on stations from coast to coast is costly, it's a cost we believe is of high value. All of our ministries rely on the generosity of people like you. And this month stands out as critical as we look to close the calendar year and strong for the new year ahead. Our goal for December 31st is to raise $376,000 to support our ministry work. Please consider investing in our efforts to help people of all ages and stages to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. 
And as John utters the words, everyone in the room recognizes they're staring at a profound mystery. And it's right here when we realize that this child is the final explanation of all things, we begin to realize how profound this moment is. You see, have a look next time you're with a newborn, how complex and how wonderful he or she is. Only nine months prior, all there was was a seed and an egg. But then this seed and egg burrows into the uterine lining of the mother. There it's nourished and then amazingly it divides and then it divides again into multiple cells. By five weeks, he or she is already has a circulatory system and tiny little heart already now formed begins to beat and sending blood enriching with oxygen around this tiny little frame. By six weeks, tiny arms and legs, the nose, the mouth, the ears, the intestines, the brain, all of these are now beginning to take shape. Clearly, an amazing thing is happening. By seven weeks, the baby has doubled in size in just one week. By eight weeks, the baby is moving. Nerves are being formed. Breathing tubes move from the mouth to the lungs. By 11 weeks, the baby is almost fully formed. It has all happened at a stunning speed. The baby is now breathing fluid and he or she sometimes even hiccups. By 13 weeks, the taste buds are working. Sometimes she sucks her thumb. If it's a girl, she already has two million eggs in her ovaries, awaiting her time when she becomes a mother. And his or her fingers are now fully developed fingerprints. Imagine that. And then just one week later, the brain is now fully functioning and he or she already has memory patterns. Since the baby has fully functioning facial muscles, she sometimes makes a face. By 15 weeks, if, if you shone a strong light onto the tummy of the baby's mother, he'll move his face from the beam of light to protect his eyes. By 19 weeks, the baby can very effectively hear so that if you talk to him or her, she listens and soon begins so clearly to discern the voice of his mother. That's why newborns know that voice so very well. I mean, I could go on and on. By 20 weeks, he or she will have his first poop. By 23 weeks, the brain is functioning so well, there are active dream patterns, and he or she is learning. By 27 weeks, she or he already has a regular waking and sleeping schedule. And now, in, in a few short months at birth, a brain, a nervous system, a digestive system, an endocrine system, a complex immune system to fight disease, a lymphatic system, a muscular system, a respiratory system, a skeletal system with five senses to interact with the outside world. But more than that, a capacity which can reach out to the Creator. I mean, that's staggering. But with baby Jesus, John says, he has created all things that are created, meaning that this word, this one, created his own body, for he himself chose his own flesh. And just when you're trying to get a hold of that, your mind is staggering by the mystery of it all. John goes still further. Staring at the child, John says, this child's light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, when John uses the word light, he doesn't mean sunlight, nor does he mean intellectual enlightenment as, as we like to use the term. He means light that shines into the darkness of our sin. Sin, John knows, is a universal deformity of human nature found at every single point in our personhood and personality. 
It's an innate, overpowering drive to, to rebel against our Creator, even, even to our own ruin. David knew that well when in Psalm 51 he cried out, In sin did my mother conceive me. See, as wonderful as little babies are, they're destined for rebellion that leads to their ruin, and they have completely lost the ability to do what is good, untainted by rebellion. That's why every child is like that except this one. This one has captured the full potential of what being human should have meant to all of us. This child is how we all would have been, that is, in his humanity, if sin had not warped and twisted and broken the image of God in us. And so where there was once light, darkness now reigns in the human heart, so that not one part of our humanity, that is, our intellect or our emotions or our relational ability or our sexuality or our will and our volition, All of this is distorted by the darkness of our sin. That is, that is, except this one child. There is in this child no moral distortion. In this child is all that Adam and his offspring might have been had he not lifted his hand in rebellion to his maker and brought ruin and despair unto himself. And says John, as he stares at the baby, this one is light in a world of darkness. But more than that, this one shows the world what light actually is. So as John holds the baby, he sees not only that this is what humanity was intended to be, but he also sees hope for this is the source, the only source of the world's moral light. Have you ever wondered how it's possible, you know, if God's love and God's all-powerful, how can he allow evil in the world? You know, everything from wars to individual acts of human selfishness and suffering and eventually death. You know, as frustrating and as confusing as that question can be, I think there is a question that is even more confusing. How is it that there is any decency, right conduct, love, healing, peace in a world that's lost in sin? And the answer, says John, is in this baby. He is the source of the world's moral light. Anything good that has ever invaded this sin-sick world has come from this child. But John wants to tell us two more things of what he sees in this baby. As he holds the child, by now, no one pays attention to the cattle lowing or the rustle in the barn. The child has fixed their attention, and John now says, this child, this word of God, is the word that has become flesh. And now the Word of God dwells among us, and we in this room are looking at His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You know, unlike us who bear children in the context of time, this one is the eternally begotten one. For that reason, even though He is fully human, He is also fully God. Everything that can be said about God can be said about this one. This one shares fully in the essence of God, eternal omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, everlasting righteousness, full of grace and truth. This one is of one substance with the Father. If God is fully God, then this child sharing in his substance is fully God. If God has no beginning and no ending, if God is perfect in all his attributes, then this child is exactly that. In fact, if God is one, in that there is but one God, then this child shares fully in the oneness of God. This then is in some mysterious way, says John, this child, 
fully one with the Father. And then before he hands the child over to Matthew, he holds him up again and says, I'm not quite done. I see one more thing. This child is the Word made flesh. He's incarnate. Charles Wesley saw that perfectly in his hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, when he wrote, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. In fact, if you were to stand beside John holding the baby and you were to say, wait, I don't understand, he would look at you and say, let me explain. This little baby is God pitching his tent, his ancient tabernacle right in the center of humanity. This is God with a veil over his face. If you were to look at God, his majesty and glory would be so brilliant and profound that his presence would kill you. It would be like standing at ground zero of a nuclear blast. To stand in his presence would tear your soul from your body. And so he would say, as he held the baby for you to examine, this is the glory of God with a veil covering him. So you can see, what veil did God use for his glory? Skin, flesh, bone, humanity. God came to us in a veil. Think of it. Look at him. Hold him. Let that wash over your soul. Behold the child. See, I want you to imagine Joseph and Mary begin to tremble. What child is this that has been given to us? I want you to imagine Matthew, Luke, and Paul waiting their turn for the child. For if truth be told, John has only begun to exegete the child. There is so much more to see, so much more time that is needed with this child. But already we are seeing that this child is as significant as can be. As the hymn writer said, what child is this who lays to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Indeed, the question is not that we don't know. It's that in knowing who this child is, we are introduced to more mystery than our imagination can even begin to fathom. Our only impulse now is that we fall on our knees and worship. Thanks for your message today, John. We look forward to tomorrow's message as well. Quick question, you know, as we look at Christmas, what are some of the things you've experienced with your family as you look back? Now, I have wonderful memories of Christmas. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, as the kids were little, I mean, the, the joy in their eyes. But we had this tradition in our house that uh, before anyone got to open their presents, there was a, a Bible before us in which we reread the Christmas story, and we just simply spent time and we prayed for each other. So, you know, I think that's a wonderful memory, but um, also, of course, you know, family and eating and all the other things that made a part of that. But maybe that bears the point. We need to concentrate on Jesus. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. The year is coming to a close, and I couldn't be more grateful for the encouragement prayers, and support we received from so many gracious ministry friends across the country. All of Back to the Bible Canada ministries, including Laugh Again and our young adult ministry in doubt, rely on the generosity of people like you. We teach the Bible with a purpose, that those who hear might receive and believe in our Lord Jesus. That's the intention of every program, every word, and your gifts make all that we do possible. Please consider supporting the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as we strive to reach our December year-end goal of $376,000. Call 1-800-663-2425 or donate online 
at backtothebible.ca.